If you have your Bibles with you and you'd like to open them with me, I'm in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. What we just saying is of the goodness of God. Do you uh, know why that's important that we sing of the goodness of God? Well, first, because it's true, but also because we become what we admire. We become what we admire. So this is, this is just kind of a general principle that is not always as true as I wish it was. So I, I'm really, really, really bad at fixing things or assembling things. Or anything to do with tools that aren't electronic, like on my laptop. And so I I have this general rule that if I can get it wrong, I mean, if it's a 50-50 chance, like if you put it on this way or that way, if there's a 50-50 chance that I could get it wrong, there's a 100% chance that I will get it wrong. Like every time with everything, it seems like I always have to do it twice. And so, you know what you do now, now when you want to fix something, you watch a YouTube video on how to do it. And I watch those and I'm like, oh, that doesn't look hard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then, I mean, you you laugh because you know how it goes after that, right? It's frustrating, but... But I watch those YouTube videos, I admire them, and then I try to emulate them. It doesn't always go great, but I try. This is what makes us nervous, I think, this idea that we become what we admire. It's what makes us nervous about when our kids really follow the social media influencers. And we're not always sure that those influencers are influencing them in the right direction. This is what makes us pay attention to who our kids are friends with. Because we become who we admire, so we want to pay attention to what they're going to become. This question of becoming is really profoundly important, whether you follow Jesus or not. Like, wherever you are on, on that journey of whether or not you follow Jesus, what you're becoming, the kind of person you're on your way to developing into, man, what's more important than that? What's more important than what you're, what you're becoming? That's a really big deal. What, what do we got, Damon? Yeah, yeah. What, what happens when, when you feel like things are really out of control? That's, you know what? Yeah. 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 Right. That that you know, can I just can I just like talk and and then maybe we can address that because you know, we're going to we're going to get to some Spots later on in this passage that really talk about people who are really going through some really, really hard things. And 
And Damien, I can see it, man. You're going through some really, really, really hard things that, that are really hard for us to understand, you know. So, yeah. So, so you, you just got to let me talk for a little bit, and then I'll listen to you afterwards, okay? Can we have a deal like that? All right. So, what we're becoming is really, really, ma- it really matters. Whether you follow Jesus or not, the, the kind of person you're becoming is a really important question. So, the last two years have been, there's been a lot of tension. Anybody, anybody, like, feel any of that? Like, the last two years we've had some tension? Yeah. So, have you become, like, like what kind of person have you, has these last two years shaped you into becoming? Like, that, I just want you to think about these last two years. Like, like people who live through certain huge events in history will talk about how those, how those events in history shaped them as people. So the last two years has created a lot of tension. We're gonna, you're going to hear this word again in the sermon. Created a lot of tension. How has that tension shaped you into becoming like Jesus or, or not? And how have you been training to follow Jesus through this tension? And how has that changed you as a person? So in the last two years, how have you changed? Because this is a really important question, because whatever it means for Jesus to call us as his followers, as we sang about that he would, God himself would chase after us and call us, what it can't mean, and this is good news, what it can't mean is that Jesus is trying to keep us the same. It can't mean that. It has to mean that he is changing us for good. So here we are, as Jesus calls us. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So they'd have this, these really big nets, and they'd throw them into the sea, and the nets would be weighted, so they would sink and trap some fish under them, and the fish would try to swim up to get out, and then they'd pull the nets in, and they would sometimes catch fish, even from the shore. Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen, and he said to them, follow me. So if you're looking for the essence of the Christian life, the command in the Christian life, this is it. Jesus calling us to follow him. Whatever that means, whatever that means, it can't mean stay just like you are. He is calling us to change for good. And he said to them, follow me. And then he tells him he's going to make them something. And I will make you, remember what he says he's going to make them? Fishers of men, that's right. Fishers of men. Follow me. So, hey, hey, question. Is being a fisher of men, is that like tangential to Jesus' call? Is that like a different side issue? Or is that essential to what it means to follow Jesus? It is utterly essential to what it means to follow Jesus. This is why the vision for our church is we make disciples who make disciples. That is essential to what it means to follow Jesus. 
And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. You'll see that come up a couple times as a theme. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. They're with their dad fishing. I told a story about that in Awana the other day. Anybody here that remembers? I think Josh remembers that. Mine was much more violent than this one. You're just going to have to wonder, you know, what that was about. But in the boat with their father, mending their nets, and Jesus called them. Jesus calls these brothers as they're fishing with their dad. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Hey. Hey. This is a big change. They left it all. Whatever that means, it can't mean they stayed the same. They left all of it to follow Jesus. Here's here's what I'm saying this means. Jesus calls followers. Jesus calls followers. Now, I didn't say Christians. I said followers. Here's why. I'm trying to like use language that the text is using because it kind of shocks us out of the norm of thinking Christians like cultural Christianity. Jesus calls followers. And what we mean by followers is people who are changing to become more like Jesus. People who are learning how to become more like Jesus. This is what it means to follow Jesus around. They follow him around like trainees. So when I say followers, I mean like trainees, like people who are learning how to become more like Jesus. Kind of like how an apprentice electrician would follow around a master electrician. This is what you do with the wires. This is what you do with the pipes. I mean, I'll get myself in trouble real quick if I start trying to describe that. But I imagine they also not just work with the electricity, but also this is how you deal with customers. This is how you deal with suppliers, like the whole thing. We follow Jesus. He's calling us to learn from him every area of life, what it means to be human. This has to mean, it has to mean change for good. In every area of life, your whole life. Another word for this is disciple. So I learn how to follow Jesus from Jesus as, as I'm Jesus' disciple. I'm learning what it means to follow him. I'm becoming more and more like him, like I am his disciple, like the master electrician would disciple the apprentice electrician. Or like, you know, like in the NFL, they have, you know, the, the coaching trees. If you've followed football for a while, they have like the coaching trees of this assistant coach worked under that head coach who, when he was an assistant coach, he worked under that head coach, and you can kind of follow the, the line of discipleship. And so you can kind of see, okay, we're going we're gonna to hope to hire Andy Reid's assistant because that then we'll get a coach kind of like Andy Reid because he will be his disciple. I don't know if that made sense or not, but you, I, think, I think you kind of got it. Of like, we're learning how to do life from Jesus. This affects every area of life. You know how many times the word disciple is used in the New Testament? 255. 
Do you know how many times it talks about Jesus saying to his disciples, follow me? So the command itself is given 13 times, but then Jesus talks about following him an additional seven times. Like anyone who does not do this and tries to follow me, they're not worthy of me. That's not the command, but he's talking about it. So now we're up to 275. you know how many times it talks about being a Christian? I heard zero, I heard once. I'm taking different shots. It says three times. Three times the word Christian is in the Bible. And you know what? Every time it's used of persecuted disciples. So here's what I'm trying to push on with this. This is why we're spending so much time on Jesus calls us to positive change. Jesus calls us to change for good. And he's serious about it. He says to us, come, leave all of that and follow me. Here's why. Because if you're not a disciple, then you are not a Christian. A lot of people are like, well, you know, I, I prayed this prayer that hasn't changed my life at all 20 years ago. And I used to go to church a couple times, and now I don't go to church anymore. And I, you know, and I think there's a God out there, but I kind of live like an atheist. But I'm a Christian. Are you a disciple? Well, probably not. See, being a disciple is to Christianity what kicking is to soccer. You know, like if you like to play soccer, but you don't like to kick. I don't know what that means. You know, I like to play football, but I don't like bodily contact with other people. You know, like, I don't know, like wrestling without touching. You know, I like... Right? It doesn't work, does it? Like, what, when, when you're Christians, that means we follow Jesus. We're learning to do life from Jesus. So, I, I want to push on this one more time. So the first thing is, the really big idea this morning is Jesus calls followers. That means that we're working at becoming like Jesus. What that doesn't mean is that we are just cultural Christians. And, and I'm, you know, I just said this, but I'm going to say it again. So I, I, sometimes you hear about people who are secular Jews or people who describe themselves as atheist but also Jewish. And what they mean is they're culturally Jewish. You know, they'll keep Passover or they'll celebrate the different Jewish holidays. They think of themselves as Jewish just without God. I think there are lots of people who think of themselves as Christians just without any of the hard-following Jesus stuff. There are people who think of themselves as Christian just as, you know, go to church Christmas and Easter and maybe once in a while when it's convenient and my mom makes me, my wife makes me, and... You know, it doesn't really make any difference in my life. 
So I have up here the, the golden triangle. This is one of the ways to know that you're a Christian is you're trying to follow Jesus. You're working at following Jesus. And so this is a golden triangle of change. This is how change happens in the Christian life. It's a diagram of it anyway. It's one way to think about it. And uh, this was developed by Dallas Willard. Um, if you Google Dallas Willard golden triangle, you'll come up with something far more sophisticated than this, but this is the basic idea. And so this is the, like I say, this is the golden triangle of change. And he says, the way we change is the power and work of the Holy Spirit. So let's get that clear first. The way we change is not, this time Nathan will try harder. The way we change is the power and work of the Holy Spirit. And he says, one of the key things the Holy Spirit uses in our life to change us is tension. This is what we started out talking about. How has tension changed you this year? You know, like we've all experienced a lot of tension in the last couple years. How has God redeemed that for good in your life? Or how have you received that from God's hand as a way to change? So the Holy Spirit uses tension in our lives. And the Holy Spirit also uses spiritual training or spiritual discipline. The Holy Spirit also uses that time that you set aside to study your Bible, to pray, to practice kindness, to slow down and serve people, to listen to your spouse when they correct you. The Holy Spirit uses this intentional, planned training, and the Holy Spirit also uses the tension that the Lord brings into our lives or allows to come into our lives. So Jesus calls followers, not cultural Christians. Jesus calls followers to something specific. Did you see what, you know, we talked about this, and you'll, you'll say, well, of course, when I put it up here. But number two, Jesus calls followers to become, to make them fishers of men. You saw that there in verse 19, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now people will argue about what exactly fishers of men means, but it, there has to be a straight line from that first command, I will make you fishers of men, to the end of the book where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. There has to be a straight line between I will make you fishers of men and go and make disciples. Like, go and tell other people. One author, I, I just thought this was so good I had to share it with you. He put it like this. Leon Morris put it like this. It is no longer a question of taking fish from a lake, but of drawing men up out of the abyss of sin and death and catching them in the great net of God. What do you have going on that's more important than drawing men up out of the great abyss of sin and death? What's it, what's it like in the great abyss of sin and death? What's it going to be like after the final judgment in the great abyss of sin and death? What do you have going on more important than that? 
This is why this is essential to our call. Catching them up in the great net of God. There's a video I want to play uh, for you. And um, you'll, it'll be self-explanatory. You'll see how it fits into make, um, helping us become fishers of men as, as you watch it. This is Penn from Penn and Teller. It's a couple years old. That's why he looks different than if you see him on TV today. talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hovering position, after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And, um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the, uh, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, that's uh, not worth explaining. We had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show, and I liked it, and I wanted and he was very complimentary about my use of language, and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff, no reason to go into it, he said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you, and he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody 
to not proselytize. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And... Uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. I don't know what else to say after that. No, that's really... Really powerful stuff. Like, this is why we are called to be fishers of men. This is why. And I also think it's encouraging to know that you can make somebody, you can give them the best invitation to follow Jesus or learn about following Jesus. And as long as you are deeply sincere deeply honest, kind, polite, it doesn't have to end with them hating you or you hating them. So Jesus calls his followers not to be cultural Christians, not just to be cultural Christians, but to really follow him. And he calls them to be fishers of men. Let's finish it. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So, three things. Teaching, proclaiming, and now healing. In healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick. And those afflicted with various diseases and pains. Those oppressed by demons. Those having seizures. And paralytics. And he healed them. So doctors then, like doctors today, had people that they could heal and people that they could not heal. There was no one that Jesus could not heal. They brought him everybody. And Jesus healed them all. This is... What Jesus is doing when he's healing here is he's acting out some very, very good news. And that very, very good news is that he has finally come to deal with the curse. You know, God created a good heavens and a good earth. And then we sinned. And because we sinned, God, 
God cursed us and he cursed the earth. And because of that, the world has been frustrated and broken and there is disease and suffering and death. And we all suffer because of sin or because of somebody else's sin or just because the world is broken. And what Jesus is doing with this healing is he's saying one day, one day after he bears the curse, he will finally overturn it. So just like, just like sin is like a crime that has to be punished, Jesus is punished for our crime. Just like sin is like a debt that has to be paid, Jesus pays our debt. And just like a curse has to be born, Jesus bears the curse in our place so that one day he can overturn it. And this is good news for everybody. So this is why great crowds followed him. From Galilee and the Decapolis, that's the ten Greek cities that were up there in the north. Deca is ten. Polis is city, the ten Greek cities. From Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Like, this is good news for everybody. And that's why we're to go into all the world and tell them about Christ as we make disciples. So, the good news is that Jesus will overturn the curse. So what this means is that things will not always be broken. What this means is you won't suffer from the stuff you're suffering from forever. What this means is you won't be plagued by, chased by, frustrated by the demons or the sins or the past or the weaknesses that you carry around with you, you won't have that stuff eating at you forever. But Jesus came and bore it in our place so that one day we could be utterly and completely healed. This is the eternal life that Penn was talking about. Like if you believe that's real, you've got to tell people about it. So three questions. The first one is, have you decided to follow Jesus? Are you kind of, would you put yourself in the cultural Christian camp or in the I have decided to follow Jesus camp? Has there been a time when you've crossed the line of faith to say, I'm surrendering everything to Jesus? And that's one of the songs we're going to sing coming up. I surrender all. Have you surrendered all? Will you surrender all? Have you decided to follow Jesus? Or, or are you kind of a pretender? Have you decided to follow Jesus? The second question is kind of like it, but it's kind of more specific. And it's how are you training to follow Jesus? So as we talked about, like, a way you can know, let's think of the golden triangle. And how are you redeeming the tension in your life? to help you become more like Jesus? And how are you training to become more like Jesus? How are you serving people on purpose to become more like Jesus? How are you reading your Bible or praying or in community to become more like Jesus? Like, is there, are, there, are there ways you're training that you can point at to say, this is how I'm becoming more like Jesus? And third... 
Who are you fishing for? We're about to sing, I Surrender All. And as we sing that, I'd love for you to surrender whatever you need to surrender to our Lord Christ. And um, may he just assure you that he loves you and he's been calling you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you love us and that you call us to follow you. Lord, pull us towards yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.